Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So they subpoena President Trump to appear in front of the January 6th committee. Oh, what I wouldn't give. What I wouldn't give to watch that happen in real time. There is not enough popcorn and bourbon in on the, on the planet that I wouldn't be imbibing in watching that happen. But there's, there's no way. There is just no way he's going to do such a thing. Puts him in tremendous amount of jeopardy. But the bigger story is that the Supreme Court denied President Trump on his application regarding the documents, the classified documents taken from Mar-a-Lago. So what is the value now of this special master that he had pushed for that you had a judge say yes to? You have this Judge Deary that's put in charge. The, D- the DOJ says, well, their documents we're going to keep and we're going to keep investigating Trump and possibly press charges. The, the Trump team says, what about the special master? And the Supreme Court says, yeah, we don't care. I mean, that story is huge. As I see it, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. William Jacobson joins us right now of LegalInsurrection.com. He is the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com, Cornell Law Professor. And before we get into the Supreme Court, just really quick, on a scale of one to not shocked in any way, shape, or form, how shocked are you that the January 6th committee subpoenaed Trump, and what are your odds that Trump actually appears in front of that committee? Well, I think it's close to zero chance, maybe zero, that he would ever appear in front of them. Uh, There's no reason to. There's no reason to subject himself to that. It would be one gigantic perjury trap where they would just throw things at him, hoping he makes a mistake, uh, and that would hand the case right over to Merrick Garland. Uh, So there would be no way Trump would ever appear, and there's even a question whether they can force him to appear. Uh, That would go to the Supreme Court. So it's not going to happen. It's theatrics. It's their parting shot. And I also believe there is a reasonable possibility that they are just trying to create another pretext for Merrick Garland to go after Trump, which is uh, contempt of Congress. So after presumably they lose the House of Representatives, not guaranteed, but seems likely, they will pass a resolution holding him in contempt for not, uh, you know, complying, and they will send it over to Merrick Garland as they, you know, uh, clean out the Speaker's office. You know, th- th- this does very much seem much more like Banana Republic stuff than an actual republic, and it, we we have to keep everybody remembering that you don't get to bring a lawyer. There is no cross-examination. You can't actually defend yourself. I think it's a very interesting take from you about this idea of perjury trap, but you've dealt with enough courtrooms and enough situations that are kind of like this, although not exactly like this, um, is Does this smack to you as I, we, I've seen a lot of conservatives say this, but it might just be the line that they're using. Does this smack to you as desperation of the committee? We don't have anything else to bring America, so we might as well just try this. And, oh, look, Trump won't show. What a coward. Well, I think it's, it's more pre-election public relations theatrics more than anything. 
They really haven't gotten traction for the hearings. I heard somebody, I think it was on TV yesterday, pointing out, or maybe it was the Internet, that only like less than 1% of Democrat ad spending has mentioned January 6th. So that was going to be one of their big issues. So Democrats know it's not resonating. People are worried about gas and inflation and the cost of food and literally making rent next month. So it hasn't resonated. So they've been out of the headlines for a long time, this January 6th committee, and they got you know a 24-hour news cycle uh, among friendly media about they have subpoenaed Donald Trump. So I think that's really what it is. I think it's their theatrics uh, pre-election, their one last hope of maybe swaying people with this. But I think anybody, you know, who was against Trump was against Trump regardless of these hearings. And anyone who's for him is for him regardless of these hearings. And independents seem to not really be caring about it. So I, I think that's all it is, total theatrics. But I do think there is that potential malicious side which is as a parting shot, they want to hand as much oh, but those are not, to the Department of yeah. Justice as possible. Those aren't mutually exclusive things, you know, parting right. shot, uh, thea- theatrics, and being malicious. Those things can go hand in hand. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Let's get to the bigger one, that the Supreme Court denied Trump on the special master. Uh, take us through it and are you in accordance, are you in agreement with what the Supreme Court said here, which is basically that the Trump team can't prove any injury by the DOJ having these documents and not first being checked by the special master? Well, we don't know what the reason for the denial is. There was no explanation. It was a one-sentence denial, simply saying we're denying the application for a, uh, a state. So there's there's no explanation. We don't know why they did it. My hunch is that, you know, the Supreme Court, first of all, doesn't routinely offer stays of lower court. They do it, but it's not a routine thing. You've got hurdles to jump over. You've got to essentially show you're entitled to an injunction. But where that where the issue below is not even really substantive, it's just procedural. Are we going to have a special master? How are we going to do the special master? What is the special master going to look at? What can't the special master look at? What can the government do with these records pending further court action? Though The Supreme Court is not going to micromanage a litigation. That's so if you want the Supreme Court to micromanage a litigation, you've got an even higher hurdle. You, know, you need a pole vault to get over it. So this was always a long shot. It was, you know, something that nobody realistically expected the Supreme Court would do, and they did what everybody expected they would do, which is leave procedural things to the lower court. So I don't think it's at all surprising. But that said, we don't know why they denied it, but they denied it. So now tell me what it means. You're part of the Trump team. This gets denied. As I understand it, sir, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com, the special master doesn't get to review documents that the Trump team is saying are privileged documents. They're now the purview of the DOJ to utilize in any investigation they want. Does this mean the special master never gets to look at them? These things are out of the scope of what the special master can do? Now, what was before this 11th Circuit and what was before the Supreme Court were only the documents marked classified. As of this moment in time, the entirety of the special master 
formula that the district court judge ordered remains in place. So the district court, the special master can review everything except for the documents marked classified. That's all that the 11th Circuit ruled on. They made it very clear in their ruling. They were not. It was preliminary. They were not reaching the merits of it. Nobody has decided that Trump did anything wrong by having those documents. But as a procedural matter, the 11th Circuit said the government should be allowed how to does use that, those documents. How does that work? I'll talk like a layman because I, I am. If the Trump team, and put anybody in this position, is claiming that you don't have the rights to these documents because they're covered by a level of privilege, there's no one to check whether or not indeed that's factual? Well, the, eventually they, there may be, but on this preliminary basis with the government being able to use them, uh, no, that's right. At, at this preliminary stage of the case, remember, Trump's not been indicted. He's not been criminally charged. This is just a search warrant. Okay, At this stage, the government does not have to give up documents that were marked classified. And whether they deserve to be classified may someday be uh, illegitimately contested in a court case. But basically, at this stage where we're dealing with items seized in a lawful search warrant, whether it should have been issued is different, but it was a lawful search warrant, the government does not have to turn over to either Trump or to his team or to the special master documents that have on them classification markings. So now take us through next steps. What is the next move for the Trump team and what's the next move for the DOJ? Well, it, it, to some extent, this is all a hurry up and wait. It's a, it's a hurry up in terms of what does Trump get back? What does he not get back? What do they get to find out about what was there? Uh, what sort of procedural wranglings will there be over these documents? But this is all a precursor to the big question, which is, <clears throat> what is DOJ going to do next? And the ball is really in their court. Are they going to try to indict Trump? Are they going to do something else? And that's where issues such as were these legitimately classified documents? Did he have lawful possession of them? Did he commit a crime by possessing them? Those issues will get resolved at some point in the future if DOJ charges him. And that's really one of the gaps in the law that a lot of people have complained about, is that the government can swoop in with a search warrant and can grab things. But if there's really no procedural mechanism to challenge that, uh, Trump went into district court did challenge it. The court agreed that he could, but the government is not conceding that the court can even challenge it. Separately from this narrow issue of the class documents marked classified is the entire procedure. They have appealed to the 11th Circuit. Uh, I don't know if there's an argument date yet, but they have appealed to the 11th Circuit, the entirety of the special master proceeding. But that's not been resolved yet. It's not even been briefed yet. I think most people expect it won't be resolved till December or January, whether the, the special master proceeding holds up. So it's complicated, but people have to distinguish. The only thing that has been ruled upon by the appeals court and the Supreme Court refused to interfere with was what, who has custody, essentially, who gets to look at and who gets to use these documents that are marked classified 
And as of now, the government gets to keep them. Government doesn't need to turn them over to anybody, and the government can use them for whatever purpose the government wants to. So it's a very narrow ruling, but it does point out the fact that when your records and your things are seized by the um, by the government, there's not a great mechanism until you are charged with a crime to contest it. Uh, the puppy sounds like a killer, sir. <laughs> Somebody rang the doorbell. That's Sorry. fantastic. That's that's the beauty. That's the beauty of working from home. Uh, William Jacobson, <laughs> Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us, sir. We've got more coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Today's report shows, though, some progress. Overall, inflation was 2% over the last three months. That's down from 11% over the prior three months. That's progress, but a lot of it is a result of getting the cost of living at the gas pump down by more, not even California now, by more than a dollar nationally and since the start of this summer. There's a big difference for working folks. Gas prices are up. What are you talking about, Mr. President? What? Honestly, that... He, that's that's just a, a a lie. Let's let's go over it again, just really quick. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything TonyKatz.locals.com. Let's do that again. Today's report shows though some progress. Overall, inflation was two percent over the last three months. That's down from eleven percent over the prior three months. What kind of word manipulation bullcrap is this? Inflation was 8.2%. The core inflation was 6.6%. 6.6. Yeah, I've got that right. Which is a 40-year high. 40-year high. You have to go back, as uh, Rick Santilli points out, to 1982. And finally, year over year, strip out food and energy, also hotter than expectations, up 6.6. That follows 6.3, and 6.6 is a new high. Uh, the old high was 6.5 in March. That went back to 1982. I was right about 6.6. So when you add in food and energy, those are considered the volatile um, uh, uh, kind of sectors. So they take those out to figure out what core inflation is, 6.6. Why is President Biden saying that it's, what, what, what do you say, 2%? It's not 2%. That's just a flat-out lie. But man, he's doing a lot of flat-out lying about this economy and some serious fear-mongering about Republicans. So folks, seniors are gonna get have inflation next year. For the first time in 10 years, their Social Security checks will go up while their Medicare premiums go down. Here's my final point. We've got an election in the month. Voters have to decide. Democrats are working to bring down the cost of things and to talk about around the kitchen table, from prescription drugs to health insurance to energy bills and so much more. We're standing up for working people and the right to get a raise and get a better job. Republicans are campaigning every day on an agenda to raise your cost. None of that is true. What happens when you can't sell the lie anymore? Well, you keep selling a lie, but you sell a new one. What was the lie? That everything was fine. 
everything was fine and good and there were no issues. Why would you think there's a problem with the economy? Why would you think at all there's a problem with the economy? Remain calm. All is well. But all is not well. And it's very obvious that those of us who live on Midwest Main Street have a very different look at things than those on Wall Street. Republicans? That's the plan? You can't get anybody to believe you on the economy because the reality is right there in their face. And your answer is, well, uh, uh, if, if you go for those Republicans, uh, man, uh, then it'll be really, really bad. But not a single penny. No, I mean it, not a single penny. Republican wins, inflation is going to get worse. It's that simple. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad it's, it's that simple. Worse than this, I have here the list of annual inflation from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And it goes through uh, apparel, used cars, all sorts of things. I'll go from the bottom up. Men's apparel is up 3.7%. Used cars are up 7.2%. Year over year annual inflation. Rent is up 67 And people say, well, it's good for the landlords. But when you see interest rates, the 30-year fixed, at, at last look, was 6.8%. Was that? Oh, yeah, it was 6.81%. So who's buying a house? We're already seeing those reductions take place. We're already seeing that happen. Now, by the way, you could be finding um, things made possibly less than 6.8. I've got a story right here in front of me from CMET, CNET that shows a 30-year fixed at 7.17. We've cracked 7% on interest rates? No wonder rents are up. People cannot afford the house anymore. They've looked at it and said, the, the kind of house we can get, we, we could have gotten so much more house six months ago, we, we're, we're going to hold off. But that's rent. Women's apparel is up 7.6%. It's 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 more it's almost double what it is for men. Too bad, ladies. All items, of course, 8.2. Milk is up 15.2. Coffee is up 15.7. Gasoline is up 18.2. Eggs 30.5%. And airline fares 42.9%. So best of luck with that vacation. It's not Republicans, it's Biden. I'm Tony Katz. So I have spent a fair amount of time talking about what's going on in Pennsylvania because this John Fetterman story is just so stunning and spectacular. And of course, uh, the press has been talking only about Georgia because Herschel Walker is now the most evil person uh, in, in, in the world, possibly because how dare a, a black man run as a Republican. No one's brought that up. I wonder if that's part of it. And there could certainly be issues with Herschel Walker as a candidate. I can find you issues all the way around. Raphael Warnock has serious issues as a candidate for Senate. But Arizona has been an interesting, interesting series of races because not only do they have a Senate race, they have a gubernatorial race. Just like in Nevada, where they have this Senate race and gubernatorial race, where Republicans are out kicking the coverage in great, great measure, 
Arizona leaves us a couple more questions. You have Carrie Lake, who is the gubernatorial Republican candidate going against Katie Hobbs. Katie Hobbs won't even uh, debate. We'll get into that. But you see her ahead in the polls. And then you have this, 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 this Senate race with Mark Kelly and Blake Masters and just a debate that did not go well for the incumbent, Senator Mark Kelly. But Masters is still behind, but there's a poll. And there's a poll that we have to break down right here. And you've heard me talking about this. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, it's a pleasure to be with you. It was a poll that showed uh, that uh, Masters, the Republican running for Senate, has 42%. Mark Kelly, the incumbent Democrat, has 46%. But it has 550 registered voters, not likely voters, with a margin of error of 4.2. And I think this poll is proof of what Trafalgar was talking about when they talked about, as they called it, the submerged Trump voter, the people who will not talk talk to a pollster. The pollsters can't actually see what's going on. They don't quite understand exactly where the voter is at. I have dubbed the shy right voter. They won't answer a pollster. They will not answer honestly. And if Blake Masters, even amongst registered voters, not likely voters, is within a margin of error in a poll I would throw out anyway with 4.2% margin of error, Exactly how close is this race? John Gabriel joins us right now. He is the editor at ricochet.com for the libertarian-minded folk, ricochet.com. He is also a columnist, an author, a writer uh, over there at the Arizona Republic, all things Arizona, run through John Gabriel. He has the strength of 10 men, don't you know? Uh, And and before we get to the gubernatorial, let's get to the Senate side of things. And I want to start with this poll. Uh, Fox 10 uh, is where I got the story. Fox 10 Phoenix. So you know where I got it from. Um, registered voters, not likely voters. A 4% margin of error. And Blake Masters is still within fighting distance. What's the real story in this Senate race? Am I seeing it wrong? Uh, you are not seeing it wrong at all, and I think if people are still uh, trying to push polls that are registered voters and sort of likely voters at this stage, they're trying to cook the books a little bit. Um, for, for many, many months, uh, Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, have declared Blake Masters dead. But over the past week or two, you keep getting poll after poll showing him within the margin of error. He has been rising, and as you say, he debated Mark Kelly and – Basically, all Mark Kelly wants to talk about it, all his ads, every statement he makes is abortion. That's all he wants to talk about. And if you look at any poll, that's way down the list on what voters are concerned about. They're concerned about these weird things like gas prices. Why is the grocery store more expensive every time I go? And uh, that's what voters care about. They do not care about um, the extremist abortion position, which would – approved partial birth abortion, uh, babies that have been delivered and are alive, leaving them to exposure. This is crazy. Most of the country does not agree with it. And Blake Masters has run a skillful campaign. He hasn't had a lot of funding early on, but over the past couple of weeks, the cavalry has come in. You have all sorts of people funding him. Peter Thiel, of course, Heritage Foundation, all sorts of groups are just pouring millions and millions but, of dollars. 
to but, make up the difference of uh, the war chest that Kelly has as an incumbent. But not Mitch McConnell. Isn't it Senator McConnell who pulled the funding from Blake Masters thinking either that the race was over or he didn't want to be around somebody who was a Trump recommended and, and, and promoted early on? Yeah, he did that uh, several months ago. He was trying to get uh, Teal to, to uh, fork over more cash. He didn't want to spend it to promote Blake Masters. But uh, Blake Masters, um, and it's kind of we'll get to Carrie Lake as well, talk about an enthusiasm gap. You know, nobody, you know, half the people in this, well, I would say vastly more than half the state, doesn't even know who Mark Kelly is. He has been completely absent from the stage, from making any public statements. And now all of a sudden he is trying to pretend he's Blake Masters by saying how tough he is on the border and how opposed he is to Joe Biden on inflation. Well, he voted for all this stuff. You know, he's like 99 percent voting with Joe Biden. He caused the problems that we're seeing not only in Arizona, but around the country. And people know that they're they're uh, pretty sick of business as usual. And Mark Kelly is all about business as usual. Talking to John Gabriel of Ricochet.com and the Arizona Republic, a poll that, to the extent I believe any poll, was the CBS News YouGov poll that took place uh, in that first weekend uh, or the first entry into October. 1,164 likely voters with a 3.8% margin of error that showed Mark Kelly up plus three. Again, that gap shortening. But th- this whole Trafalgar conversation, uh, you you agree with this? The idea that the what what Trafalgar uh, called, their senior pollster there called the uh, sub, submerged Trump voter, which I refer to in general as the shy right voter, they're not coming out for the polls. They won't answer a question. They refuse to tell people where they're at. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as you have so many different groups demonizing any um, Republican out there, even you know, moderate Republicans. We had Ben Sass of all people called a fascist for <laughs> trying to run a school in Florida, totally a red state. And uh, people are just tired of it. They don't answer polls. I think it's very common. Uh, I've talked to a few friends who have gotten calls to be polled, and I'm like, did you answer? He said, no, I hung up. It, it's just something where people have no patience for a lot of these skewed media polls. And I think there's a definite, uh, they're, they're already under polling Republicans in the state and uh yeah i think a whole bunch of uh right-leaning voters just are not putting up with it anymore they don't care uh they don't trust the media to interpret it correctly they don't want to get uh protesters showing up at the door they just are keeping their head down and voting for the r's now let's turn to the gubernatorial side carrie lake katie hobbs the word on Carrie Lake, who was a, a, an anchor uh, before uh, getting into politics, was uh, all Trump, all the time, wackadoo. Yet she has established herself as, as, as a fighter, totally willing to take on the press, and I think doing it rather skillfully because she has the training, and it's Katie Hobbs who refuses to do any level of debate. When I look at the polling... The polling uh, is is sometimes peculiar because CNN will do a poll with a 4.6% margin of error that shows Hobbs up by three. But the but uh, in, in other polls, it's Lake plus one, Lake plus three. It's a tie in that CBS Yuga poll I was just talking about. It was a tie 49 to 49. Uh, what's, the, what's the real take in Arizona on Lake and on Katie Hobbs, the Democrat? 
Um, all the momentum, just like with Masters, all the momentum is on Carrie Lake's side. She is actually engaging with voters. And yeah, in the primary, you know, just looking as a non-political consultant, I was saying, okay, let's back off, you know, talking about the election in 2020 and so forth. Uh, but she did that to win the GOP primary. And now she is just focused like a laser beam on just uh, taking, uh, taking the press and especially Katie Hobbs out to the woodshed. And Katie Hobbs thinks she could just hide. She will take endorsements from newspapers and other local news stations. She thinks that's enough to do it. But I'm sorry, you cannot do the uh, Joe Biden technique when, I don't know, she's probably in her early 50s. Uh, there is not a pandemic going on anymore. You can't just hide in your basement. And for some bizarre reason, she thinks she can do that. She refused to debate her Democratic opponent in the primary, which really ticked off a whole bunch of Democrats, I might add, especially her uh, main opponent was Hispanic. So the Latino vote was very are, – are already not trusting her. And then she's hiding from debating Carrie Lake. And people left, right, and center in all the media, no matter how left-leaning, is all blasting her for it, saying she's throwing this away. All the momentum is with Carrie Lake, and that's how I see it. So this leads us now to two worthy conversations. First, what happened to the idea of Arizona as a purple state? You still have Kirsten Sinema, uh, the, the, the senator who has gotten a lot of high-profile uh, attention, but what is is Arizona purple or was that just some weird anomaly? Arizona is strange in that I've always said it's not uh, conservative or liberal. It's contrarian. That is kind of our bread and butter. <laughs> and that's why you have characters like Kirsten Sinema out there. Uh, Arizonans, especially longtime residents like myself, they love it when any politician of any party just pokes Washington, D.C. in the eye. Um, that's one reason Mark Kelly never won himself any fans here because he's just he plays by the book. He does what the party tells him to. And you see someone like Carrie Lake and Blake Masters who are kind of sticking it to the McConnells of the world. And Arizona voters admire that. They think that's a good thing. They like people who will mix it up, who will stand up for the state, who will challenge the conventions of this far off imperial capital um, between Virginia and, and Maryland. And uh, we'll just kind of have this uh, raw, independent streak. I think that will do very well for both Lake and for Masters going into the stretch because people are tired of it. And that leads us to the part two. President Trump's endorsement of Masters and, of course, Trump's uh, support of Carrie Lake. Trump does not seem to be an albatross for either one of them. So is it a conversation of, Trump's endorsement didn't matter when the general came about. It only mattered in the primary. Did it matter in the primary? And how much does Trump come up in the conversations that Arizonans are having less than 30 days from the polls? Well, I don't think uh, trying to um, harm them by bringing up Trump is working very well because, say, three, four months ago, the ads would focus on January 6th and ultra mega socialist whatever the term is this week, and those disappeared about two months ago. And now, like I said, most of the ads are focused on abortion, which, I'm sorry, is just not top of mind for the vast majority of voters, but they are not mentioning Trump practically at all anymore. 
which just shows the internal Democratic polling saying, look, this ain't working. Uh, this isn't a bunch of fans of Liz Cheney. Um, these are people who are focused on bread and butter, kitchen table issues. And the Democrats really have had no messaging on those important things about, look, I'm having trouble paying my electricity bill this month. What are you going to do to stop Biden? Are there any I haven't been taking a look at congressional races races in in Arizona. Is there anything we should be taking a look at? Um, right now, it's kind of uh, tough to suss out what's going on because polling in the state has been remarkably weak and just not very well conducted. So it's really hard to see. But I, I really think we have a new district coming up. I think a Republican will win there. And all these races, no matter how small, you know, state attorney general, uh, county attorney, you know, roles like that, when you look at uh, polls, I always don't believe the pure numbers they give, but you'll always watch the trends. And in the trends, all the independents, which is about a third of the electorate in Arizona, they're all going to the GOP right now, just one after another after another. And that has been pretty solid for about three weeks now. And we still have a ways to go for the campaign. Democrats um, are looking very panicked and flummoxed because they just seem like they're flying around with more and more desperate attacks. Meanwhile, the Republicans are calm, cool, and collected, staying on the message, you know, um, fix the economy, stop Biden, fix the border, and um, go, and let's uh, stop crime and not have any of these, like, George Soros-endorsed um, candidates or running in Arizona, which is a bad fit for them anyway. But uh, Republicans have been sticking to their message, and Democrats are really kind of panicked and flailing. I expect a few goofy October surprises, but I don't see the voters falling for those. John Gabriel is his name. Strength of 10 Men, ex-John on Twitter. If you want to find him, ricochet.com. You can also find his work over there in the Arizona Republic. John, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more coming up. I'm Tony Katz. I really do appreciate John Gabriel being with us. I've known him for for years and trust his analysis on Arizona implicitly. Uh, but you know, I, I I would stop talking about the John Fetterman thing. The guy, the Democrat in Pennsylvania, had the stroke running against Dr. Oz, who's running as a Republican. But it can't. They, these people won't stop talking about it because they're saying, "How dare you say anything about John Fetterman in a stroke?" Why? The man had a stroke and he's not well. That seems obvious. He wasn't like this before the stroke. He's like this now. Therefore, the stroke did something, and we're allowed to ask if he's okay. And Dasha Burns from NBC said, we sat down with uh, John Fetterman, the Democrat, for an interview. You've seen him. Big, bald guy, wears the the, the, the hoodies because he's such a professional. Tony Katz, good to be with you, Tony Katz, today. That's me, not in a, in a hoodie. I do own a hoodie. I think I own two hoodies. I rarely wear them. Uh, look, it's his fashion choice. I'm just saying it, it doesn't inspire me. Um, Dasha Burns does an interview with him from NBC. And it's like, you know, we spoke to him beforehand. He didn't have a, he had a very hard time with the small talk. He couldn't quite understand. He couldn't carry on the conversations. Uh, we had to write the questions out for him, and he had to read them off a teleprompter. That's what happened. She was reporting what happened. And people are like, how dare you? Well, I did an interview with him, and he was just fine. Maybe you're bad at small talk. And now on The View, well, my gosh, Dasha Burns of NBC was simply inappropriate. I 
actually thought it was inappropriate that she said during small talk uh, before our yeah, interview. Maybe she's bad at small talk. Maybe yeah, it was maybe, her. Maybe it's her. <laughs> I just feel that, you know, I don't know what, if it was an off-the-record conversation, if the entire interview was off the record, but I know, Sarah, you've interviewed people. We interview people, and we have small talk before. That is generally not something that you mention during <laughs> when you're being interviewed by an anchor. The other thing that, that I had a problem with when she's describing all of this, I mean, I don't know about everybody else, but I love closed caption. I watch all of my series closed caption because yeah. I can't sometimes understand the accents of, that people are using and I don't understand things. And it's very helpful in terms of processing. And yeah. I don't have a cognitive disorder. And so... When I watch TV, there are... T First of all, I don't know if Sonny Hostin has a cognitive disorder or not. You see, now who gets to say? I have watched TV with closed captioning on. I have never done an interview with closed captioning on. She's a reporter who reported on what she experienced. She's a bad reporter. She's terrible. It's inappropriate. How dare you come out against a Democrat? How dare you come out against a progressive? The View is a great look at exactly how low people can go. Find everything at TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz today.